0: Romans chapter three, we left off last time at verse 20. We'll pick up today in verse 21 through 31. I'm going to read it and I'll tell you that as you come here, we are in the process of studying through the entire book of Romans. So those of us that have been around the church have already spent a number of weeks working our way from chapter one, verse one, to now being in chapter three, verse 21. So You're kind of joining us mid-program, I guess you could say, but don't let that discourage you. We'll try to bring you up to speed, and then once you start with us, then you'll be able to follow it on through to the end if you stick around. So what we're going to do is we'll read this, and then I have a few introductory remarks, and then we'll start tearing apart this passage. Verse 21 of chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes, but now, so there was something before, he says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Welcome to seminary class. That was two sentences. Verse 27 says as a result of that, the implication is as a result of what Paul just said, where is boasting then? It is excluded. He answers his own question. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, Of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, that was the Jewish ritual, by faith, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. I did a little bit of research on storage units. I don't know if any of you have a storage unit, but we have storage units to fit things that we wanna keep that don't fit into our house or garage or barn or shed. And I found some interesting things out about storage units. You can fit 646,808 Oreo cookies in a five by five storage unit. Now, I don't know that from personal experience, just saying, Pastor Steve, I do have a sweet tooth, I will admit it. If you have a five by 10 storage unit, you might be able to fit 39,600 energy drink cans in there. If you really need energy, you can have 39,600 cans worth. So you ask, that's wonderful, Pastor, but what in the world does that have to do with Romans chapter 3? Well, we just read the passage, and I imagine if you're like me, as you read that, you say, what in the world is this all about? There's words there that... I've never heard before, and I certainly don't understand. What's the righteousness of God? What's justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus? What's propitiation by his blood that demonstrates his righteousness? What's forbearance and God passing over sins? I mean, this is a little bit of a confusing passage. Just like those storage units were packed with all kinds of goodies, this passage, although it's very brief, is absolutely packed with things that the apostle Paul just cannot throw away. We have reached the crescendo. We have reached the summit of the hill we've been climbing since chapter one in the book of Romans. If you've been around the church for a little while, you've been listening to the studies in Romans, you remember that the book of Romans can be summarized by looking at four different buildings. The first five chapters are summarized by seeing and knowing that we are in what type of building, church? We're in the courthouse, the courthouse of God the Almighty presiding over this courthouse. And it's been quite a stretch, quite a run from chapter 1 where Paul really begins and introduces the argument. Don't turn there, I'll just read it. In chapter 1, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's tempting to be ashamed of the good news because of what the good news says, because of the bad news. See, the good news of Jesus says that everybody's a sinner, that's bad news, but that everybody can be saved the same way by one Savior, not a thousand different ways, not 17 different ways, by one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And to some people, that's offensive. And Paul says, well, I'm not ashamed of that because I think it's pretty awesome that God made a way for everybody to be saved the same way. And that with God, there's no partiality. Wherever he sees sin, isn't this comforting? I mean, wherever God sees sin, he has to judge it. He has to deal with it, whether it's in the Jew or the Buddhist or the Hindu or the atheist or the Christian. And again, let's say this religious person, because as Christians, we recognize and we have embraced God's solution to our unsolvable problem. On our end, it's unsolvable God steps in and solves our problem and offers a way for us to be at peace with God. So if you don't get anything else out of Romans chapter three, this section, that's the summary of what he just said. So all that gobbledygook we just read, that doctrinal and and theological gobbledygook, and I say that, it's a huge, long, run-on sentence full of words that many people don't use and understand. I hope that by being here, you'll leave going, oh, now I understand what was being said. So if I do that, I've done my job, we'll see, right? Well, the jury's out, Pastor Steve. We'll see how you do with that. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jews and the non-Jews, for in it, the righteousness of God, there's that phrase, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So he introduces the idea that everybody can be saved that everybody needs salvation. Everybody can have the righteousness of God and it's by faith. That's Jew and Gentile. Then he spends the next number of chapters here explaining why the Gentiles need salvation because of their sin and why the Jews need salvation. See, the Jews would have trusted in their self-righteousness, meaning that they had a list of things that they thought should please God and should make God accept them. Abraham is their father. They have circumcision. They keep the Sabbath on and on and on. And God says, well, actually what I'm looking for are people who love me with all their heart, mind, soul, strength, and love their neighbor as their self. And although you agree that that's the right thing to do, you haven't done it. The Jew hasn't done it. And then he goes on to say that they go on to present their rituals. And God says, well, I'm not impressed with ritual for the sake of ritual." doesn't put you in right standing with me, he says, it's faith. Because then what would people do that had different rituals? See, all over the world, people have all kinds of religious rituals. And all over the world, people are perishing without God. And so that makes this chapter really, really important because God says it's not based on ritual, it's based on faith in Jesus Christ. And that is open to everybody. You can preach that in Africa. You can preach that in India to the low caste to the Dalit caste, to, to the untouchables. You can preach that in Siberia. You can preach it in South America. You can preach it right here in Fluvanna County, Virginia. And that is the wisdom of God. That is the grace and the glory of God. So we begin then with verse 21 after having established what was the verdict in the courtroom. I mean, Paul left us last time. Just look back a couple of verses. Look at verse 19 of that same chapter. He says, the law has spoken so that every mouth can be stopped. And who's guilty before God? What's it say there? The whole world. Well, that's a lot of guilty people. That includes you and me and the Pope. Yeah, the Pope too. The whole world is found guilty before God. And so in the courtroom, it's just people are aghast. I mean, how can that be? I was, I thought, you know, I, I was religious. You mean I'm I'm as guilty as the guy who's in prison? Even though I'm religious, even though I show up at church, even though I do the rituals, I participate in these things, the whole world's found guilty. The Jew, the Gentile. Well, that's pretty depressing. That's pretty discouraging. Where do we turn? I mean, when, once the, the hammer drops, the verdict is pronounced, then they cart you off to do the time. And the wages of sin, the Bible tells us, is what? Death. So we've just all been pronounced having the death penalty. And then into that silence, into that heaviness, Paul says, verse 21, but now, but now, and he means, it's emphatic, he means, but right now, this very moment, for some of you, this very day, this will be the first time you're hearing this. You are hearing for the first time in your life, I can say to you, but now, this Righteousness of God. What's the righteousness of God? This is a word that describes, it can also be righteousness and justice are very similar ideas. The righteousness of God doesn't mean that my faith makes me do everything right all of a sudden. Because I still don't do everything right. So we still, we still wrestle. So the righteousness of God doesn't mean that by faith all of a sudden I'm made perfect of perfect behavior. What it means is that my standing with God, my relationship to God is made right. See, before, because of my sin, I was out of relationship with God. For instance, I was talking to a friend of mine this last week, just took his car to be inspected. And much to his chagrin, he got rejected. Big, fat rejection sticker on that car. Turns out it's the ball joints. Now, I still have yet to know what those are or where they exist somewhere in the car. They always go bad. But the car looked great on the outside, looked wonderful on the outside. He shined it, cleaned it up before he took it to the inspection. Man, man, get the tires all nice and shiny and black, the grill clean. Man, make this car shine. So you can imagine his disappointment when they slapped that big rejection sticker on there. Said, you got a problem, reject it. You see, that's the problem because of our sin on the inside, the secret places. There's this great big moral rejection sticker over our lives. Rejected. And that's a problem. But the righteousness of God, now what does he have to do? He's got to get that fixed because he's out of right standing with the state of Virginia. The state of Virginia has something against him. He's committed an offense against the state of Virginia. And until he gets that fixed... He is out of righteousness. He's unrighteous with regard to the state law, right? Are you with me in that? So now let's say he just decides not to get it fixed. Let's say he just says, well, I don't believe in state police. I don't believe in those sirens that are following me right now. Do you think that would matter to the state police? Atheists say, well, I don't believe in God. God says, well, I don't believe in atheists. That doesn't solve the problem. And if he chose not to get that fixed... You think How peaceful do you think his life would be? You think he'd be worried all the time if he'd pass by a state police car that he'd be like a little bit nervous, like, uh, finally, I'm going to have to pay the piper. Finally, the hammer's going to drop. He's going to always be looking over his shoulder, always be wondering when he's going to get nailed because there's no peace. When you live that way, when you're unrighteous with regard to the law, you can't live in peace. You're always worried, always anxious. The greatest problem is not the horizontal one. The greatest problem is people that don't have peace with God always anxious, always filled with guilt, with not knowing what to do with it. And we've just found that things are pretty bleak in the courtroom. There was no hope by our own performance. That's why he says, now there's a righteousness of God. You can have a right relationship with God. You can be in right standing in the favor of God. You can be right with God. How? Apart from the law. Huh, now you got my attention. You mean there's another way? Yes, because that first way by the law, by my performance, how did that work? That didn't work so well. We found out that our religion, even our religious performance falls short. God is looking for me to love my neighbor as myself. Have I done that? I've sure tried, but I haven't succeeded. And so God says, I gotta make another way. So God had to make another way that leaves you because you failed, that leaves me because I failed out of the equation. So he's had to do this apart from law because I wasn't able to do it. And so how does he do it? He does it by faith, by faith. If you have confidence and believe in the work that Jesus Christ did on your behalf, that's credited to your account. And that's what Paul is saying here. Now, the interesting thing to me is the righteousness of God apart from law is revealed. That means that God can make you right with him right where you are today. That means the Gentile doesn't have to go through all the Jewish rituals. The atheist doesn't have to go through all the Christian rituals. You can be accepted and made righteous. You're right with God. Your sin doesn't anymore get in the way of your relationship with God. That can happen for you right now. Now, we in the church have a hard time with that. When someone comes in and they've got some kind of issue in their life, they're in a certain place or they've done time or they got long hair or whatever it and not wearing the right clothes, we can say, well, wait a second. God will accept you, but first you got to get a haircut, young man. Get some good clothes on, got to get a suit. Got to be baptized, got to do this, got to go, got to do all these things. Then you've missed the point of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because he says it's apart from law. If you'd like to take notes, you can write down by law. Simple way to understand law is what I do for God, my performance, what I do for God. Grace is what God does for me. See, we're saved by grace. We're saved by what God did for me, not by law. I'm not saved by what I did for him. Now, do we do things for God? Do we do works? Absolutely. But they are not for pleasing God. They're not for somehow winning god's favor in our lives they are from that because god's already loved us he already poured out his grace he already saved us and what we do then is just a response that changes the reason you come to church well if that's true why do we go to church we go because we love to we get to it's a blessing and if you came for any other reason you might need this passage If you got your Sunday school attendance list at home and you got all the things you're checking off and I I got the right Bible and I I got the right Bible cover and I got the right color highlighters and none of that stuff is bad or wrong, but none of that stuff will save you. And until the church gets that, until you get that, we'll be self-righteous and we'll demand other people fit into our mold and we will neglect to teach them about the grace of God. And that's what this passage is revealing. That's apart from the law. It's a whole different system, a whole different principle, but it's not new. Did you notice that? He says it's not new. It's not something that Paul invented. What does he say? It was witnessed to by the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Think about the prophet Isaiah, what he said in Isaiah 53. He said that there was going to be his servant. We know this was about Jesus and that by his stripes, we would be healed. Well, how does that work? That sounds like a substitution. That sounds like someone else took a punishment that I deserved. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Well, that's in Isaiah. But what about in the Old Testament? You've got plenty of examples in the Old Testament. You've got the whole sacrificial system where a substitute animal, an innocent animal, takes the place of a sinful worshiper. And as many have noted, it's never the worshiper that gets inspected. It's always the sacrifice. It's a blemish-free sacrifice that takes the place of the worshiper that substitutes. By faith, as you lay your hands on that innocent animal, your sins are effectively transferred to that animal. When that animal gets sacrificed, your sins go with it. You walk out innocent. The animal, his life has been taken in your place. So it's all over the Old Testament. And again, it's all over the Old Testament that faith has always been God's idea. It's never been by works. It's never been by your performance. God has always looked for faith. Think about the gospels, how many times Jesus remarks about the faith of somebody. Think about the two guys that go up to the sanctuary, to the temple. One guy's a tax collector. They hated tax collectors. Some things haven't changed too much. And the other guy was a religious ritualist. He was a Pharisee. He looked great on the outside. And he sits there and he praises, God, I'm thankful I'm not like that loser over there. I carry a Bible. I tithe. I'm a church member. And he just lists off his stuff. I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Meanwhile, that guy is over there just beating his chest and saying, Lord, just dealing with what he's had to do as a tax collector and the way he's cheated and robbed people. He said, Lord... Forgive me, I am a, I'm a horrible sinner. Have mercy on me, he said. He knew he needed mercy. And Jesus says, which one do you think left and was justified, was made, declared innocent? It was the tax collector, not the Pharisee. It's all over in the New Testament. It's all over in the Old Testament. There's more and more and more stories I could share with you. Why is the Samaritan the hero of the parable of the good Samaritan? The Jews hated Samaritans. They thought they were unworthy. They were half-breeds. They were less than. They would say there's a difference between us and them. We're good with God. They're not. But who does Jesus make the star of the show to religious guys pass by a guy laying in the street, been beat up, left for dead, robbed. They just walk by him in all of their self-righteousness and all of their religiosity. The Samaritan stops and helps him. And he said, which one? was a neighbor to him. The Samaritan was. That blows their minds. They hated that when Jesus said that kind of stuff because they thought they were different in a good way that we've got by nature of who we are, we're good with God. Well, that's why Paul has to say to the Jew, especially, it's by faith in Jesus Christ, not in a system, not in religious ritual, not in self-righteousness, by faith in a person who was sacrificed on your behalf, Jesus Christ And who's it for? What's the scope of this? To all and on all who are willing to put their confidence in Jesus Christ. That's open to anybody. You would think that we'd read that and go, what's so easy? I mean, there's something in the humanness, the performance side of us that goes, it's too easy. Anything worth having is worth working for. It's too easy. If it was so easy, then why aren't more people getting saved? Why aren't more people going, I believe Because you have to believe some things about yourself. You have to believe that you are unable to save yourself. And that hurts our pride. I want to do it myself. I want to get to God myself. I work my way to God. I'm going to do all the right stuff. I'm going to give them so I have something to boast about. So I can elevate myself above other people and show what a good spiritual man I am. God says, eh, wrong answer. It's available to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, that's radical, there's no difference, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember, we learned that God is not partial, he shows no favoritism. How many of you have ever felt like getting stepped on? Anybody grew up in a family like that? That was you in the family? You had an older brother or older sister and they could do no wrong. They walked on water, they were mom and dad's favorite It was always your fault, you were the scapegoat, you were the one that always got punished, you were the one that could never live up, and there was favoritism. And aren't you glad that God is not like that? That black lives matter, and Hispanic lives matter, and white lives matter, Chinese lives matter, and Mexican lives matter? All lives matter. And God is not partial to anyone. Everyone has the same ability and the same opportunity once they hear of the free gift of Jesus Christ and the salvation of God, everyone has the capacity to believe. I've met people that have much less than we do, not just materially, but spiritually. They don't have Bibles. They live some remote area and they just hear that simple word about a savior who died on a cross on their behalf and they believe. I think about Lydia who Paul met by the river there in the book of Acts. God just opened her heart to believe. Wasn't anything spectacular? She wasn't healed of anything. Paul preached the word to her and she said, I believe it. I believe it. And she put her trust in Christ and that changed her life. That changed her life. So there's no difference. The Jew is not different than the non-Jew. Matter of fact, Paul goes on in Galatians to say, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor what else? There's neither male nor female. There's neither intelligent nor unintelligent. There's neither slave nor free. And all those things, when it comes to salvation, all those things are dissolved. There's no difference. It takes just as much grace to save the religious as it does the irreligious. It takes just as much grace to save the male as the female. Come on, ladies, help us guys out. <laughs> you got to live with us, but God's got to save us. And it's just no difference, no difference. Just as challenging, takes the same sacrifice to save one as the other. There's no difference. Why is there no difference? Because all, you see that word all come up a lot? All have sinned, and I like this, all fall short of the glory of God. Let me just give you a little definition of the word glory. The word glory just means simply to have a good opinion. To have a good opinion really just means opinion, but it's often taken to mean to have a good opinion. When that band comes out on stage, that rock concert, and the lights are going and people are standing and clapping, they're, they're giving glory at that concert. Or when that football team takes the field and the quarterback throws the touchdown, everybody up on their feet and they're all cheering and roaring, they're showing, we got a good opinion. How do you show when somebody says something or does something or performs, how do you demonstrate your good opinion of their performance? You give them applause, the applause. Tim Keller from a church in New York said he kind of uses the word applause synonymously with glory. But here's what this passage says. Here's what Paul says. In fact, all have sinned. All the performances fell short, fell flat, and nobody has earned by their performance the applause of God. Wow. The word to come short has a couple of implications It can speak of time when you run late for something, you fell short, you didn't quite get there in time. And then that travels along to thinking about a running race. If you're in a race with somebody and the two of you are running and they beat you, you fell short, you got left behind, you got left in the dust, you didn't measure up, you were deficient, you were inferior. That's the implications of this word to come short. You know, when I was in high school, I had to take my SATs, just like most kids in high school. got take the SATs. Got the school you want to get into. You know how important the SAT scores, at least they used to be. I don't know if they still are anymore. So I knew what I had to get. Guess what? Didn't get it. I fell short. It wasn't for lack of trying. I did my best, but I fell short. So I took them again. Guess what happened second time? I fell short again. Got the same score as I did the first time. Now, if I could have borrowed somebody else's SAT score, someone who got a perfect grade, you see SAT could stand for spiritual aptitude test. And when it comes to our spiritual aptitude test, Paul says, we've all fallen short. We've all missed that perfect score. And so because that's true, and this applies to everybody, because whether you got long hair, short hair, tattoos, no tattoos, whatever, Because that's true, we've had to be, verse 24, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's a huge sentence, isn't it? We've had to be, by God, justified. Justified, justified. What in the world does that mean? Well, you see the root word is just. And just means giving to people what's right, doing what's right. That's justice. Justice is when people get what they have deserved. But we've been justified. It's a legal term. It means to be declared innocent, to be justified. Think about O.J. Simpson, just for a minute, not too long. What was the result of his trial? He was found innocent. He was found not guilty, which means he was, in legalese terms, he was acquitted. Acquitted. But in God's courthouse, were you and I found innocent? No, we were found guilty That means in God's courthouse, we deserve punishment, but God says, I love you so much, I have to be just because I have to punish sin, but because I love you, I have to make another way so that you don't have to be punished, so I'm gonna justify you. I'm gonna righteous you, which means I'm gonna declare you innocent. Now, if God declares you innocent, what's he gotta do with your record? He's got to tear it up and throw it out. There's no record. You're declared innocent. What happens at the end of that court case? Does the bailiff come and take you to jail? No, you don't take an innocent person to jail. You don't punish innocent people. So you've been declared innocent. Do you see how huge that is? Jesus has done for you something you couldn't do for yourself. You have been, by God, declared to be innocent. What that does is that brings you back into peace what if my friend took his car down and the inspector declared him innocent? The rejection sticker gets taken off. He gets a new sticker. It says accepted in the beloved fully. The Jew, listen, church, this is what was tough for them, and the Gentile. The person who grew up in church and the person who landed in prison both declared innocent. Now you say, that is not just. How can God just do that? How can God just forgive? Well, a few other things he said He's you've been justified. And it, some people say it's just as if I never did it. Just as if I never sinned. Justified freely. Freely, you can circle that word and you can write undeservedly, undeservedly. See, freely can mean, oh, it's free. Well, it cost Jesus everything, cost Jesus his life. So it wasn't free that way, it was free to you. And it's, you could say freely, abundantly. I freely just, you know, freely giving it out, freely giving something out, just abundantly. But this word means freely in terms of there's no cause, there's no earning it, it's undeserved. It's given to you freely without having to earn it. Freely by his grace, God's goodness And love and the expression of his beauty and his care for you. That's why he did it. And how could he do it? He did it through, this is how God can do this and still be right, through the redemption. Let's talk about that word. I love, one of the things I love about God is he's a redeeming God. Now, what does that mean? Redemption means to buy back out of slavery, it's a ransom. So, you know, if you watch movies, somebody gets kidnapped. And you have to pay a ransom for that. You have to buy them out of that. So this is Jesus redeemed us. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's how we can do that. He paid for our freedom. But what did he pay with? Not with gold or silver. didn't go down with the bail money or anything like that. What did it cost Jesus? It says, God set him forth, verse 25, as another word, propitiation by his blood. So what was the cost? It was blood. The currency of heaven is not good deeds. The currency of heaven is life, blood. And so this word is a religious word, propitiation, and it means to appease. It can also be translated mercy seat. And the picture Paul is giving the Jews that he's talking to is the picture of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. Some of you know the day of atonement is the day there were seven feasts in Israel, six of them, They celebrated, they feasted. One of them, they fasted and were remorseful about the sins they'd committed since the last year as a nation. That was Yom Kippur. That's the day of atonement. That's the day when the priest would take two goats after having already cleansed himself by sacrificing a bull on his own behalf. Then he takes two goats. One, he lays his hands on. They confess the sins of the nation. They send that goat out into the wilderness. You've heard the word scapegoat. That's where it comes from. The scapegoat is the one we pin it on and blame. Well, guess what? Jesus was your scapegoat. Your sin has been pinned on him and sent away from God. And the second goat is sacrificed and the blood of that goat is taken only one time a year, only this time every year, taken by the high priest into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is. And that blood is sprinkled on the similar word, the mercy seat. So Paul is saying to them, Jesus was that atonement, that appeasing of the wrath of God against sin on your behalf, just like the goat for the nation of Israel. And then by faith, they believed that then God accepted that goat as an offering and they were counted as innocent. They were treated as innocent by God. And that's why he says, God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. You see, if he just forgave us outright, he wouldn't be righteous. He'd be wrong. He'd be unjust. But because Jesus takes our place, because our penalty is paid for, our crimes are punished, but the punishment falls on an innocent substitute and not on us. Well, that's not fair either. Hey, it's God's sandbox. He makes the rules. God chose that in his courtroom, substitution is allowed. And aren't we glad for that? Otherwise, we would have been hopelessly separated from God for all eternity. But God said, I make one substitute. And it can't be someone that's being penalized for his own sin. And so because of the cross of Christ, sin gets punished and my mercy and love get demonstrated because previously God had in his forbearance He overlooked, in other words, or he passed over the sins that were previously committed. Aren't you glad God didn't just judge you right when you sinned? I mean, there's some people in your life that have sinned against you, and you go, they need to be judged. And of course, then so do you. But why didn't God do it? Why did God seemingly overlook these things? How's God fair to overlook these sins? He's fair. Because at this time, those sins of the past, it's as if God overlooked them. He didn't bring judgment. He passed them over so that now he could demonstrate at this present time his righteousness, that he could be just, he could do what's right, and he would also be the justifier. He's the one that declares innocence, the one who has faith, who puts their confidence in Jesus Christ to be the atonement for their sins. God says, Wrapped it up, baby. Isn't that great? I mean, who could have thought of such a thing? Who could have thought of such a way that God himself would be the sacrifice? That is phenomenal. And that there is a way. There's a way. So if that's true, then the Jew would ask, well, where's boasting then? Right? You got nothing to boast about. When it came to salvation, all you contributed was the sinner. And Jesus contributed the Savior. And that's the way it goes. So when it comes to our lives and whatever God is, look, whatever success you're experiencing spiritually, it's not because you're so great. It's because you have so great and gracious a Savior. Whatever success you're having in your marriage, whatever joy you're having in ministry, whatever good things are happening, you're like, look, I love what God's been doing at Calvary Chapel, Flew Valley. He's doing a really cool work here. Can I tell you the secret? You'll already know this, it ain't the pastor, it's God. What do I have that God hasn't given me by his grace? Paul would say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's all, all, all the grace of God. And that grace causes some things in my life. But when it comes to my salvation, I got nothing to contribute. I contributed stumbling and falling short. So where's boasting? It's excluded. By what law or by what principle? By the principle of works? No, if it was works, then I could boast. That's what we all want to do. But he says, no, it's excluded by the law or the principle of confidence or faith or belief. Therefore, Paul says, we conclude. The conclusion is that a man is declared innocent, made right with God, has peace with God by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. Before you do spiritual thing, number one, do you remember when you got saved, Christian? What did you know? I got saved in a parking lot 22, 23 years ago. I didn't know what repentance was. I didn't know what tithing meant. I had no idea what Sabbath meant. I didn't know anything about church membership. I didn't know anything. And God saved me right there, not based on what I did or who I'd become. He didn't tell me, all right, Steve, go get your act together. We don't want you to get your act together. We don't want anything to do with an act Or is he the God of the Jews only? No, of course he's not. He is also the God of the Gentiles. Yes, of the Gentiles. He has to emphasize that. Since there is how many gods? There's one God. And that one God is the God over every human being on the face of the earth, wherever you live, whatever your nation, whatever your skin color, whatever your whatever. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, So the natural question that we'll answer next Sunday, then what's the purpose of the law? Do we make the law void through faith? I mean, is the law unnecessary? He says, absolutely not. On the contrary, we establish it. Chapter four will answer that question. Thanks for hanging with that, church. This is weighty stuff, right? But do you see, I hope you see, these things believe, there's a lot of people that think they're going to heaven. And there's a lot of people I meet that, well, I'm going to heaven, why? Because I'm a good person. And Paul has just demolished any ability for you to take any credit for going to heaven. If you go to heaven, you're gonna go there for one reason, because of the grace of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because he loved you more than you will ever imagine. Amen, church? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. For these truths, I pray they would be understood and believed by this congregation. We embrace it, Lord. You are everything, we are nothing. It's in Jesus' name we pray.